Welcome to Two Cents FC. We are back again. I'm your host, Amobi Kugo, with my guy, L. Each week, we'll be discussing topics from around the soccer world and giving you our unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by intellectual, PhD, professor, and passionate soccer enthusiast, Franca Royball. I am personally excited. I got my notebook ready. I know we're going to learn a lot. We're oh talking about, what else are we talking about? The Argentina World Cup, Real Madrid versus Barcelona. We look ahead at the social political issues with the upcoming World Cup in Qatar. And, you know, just the intersection of soccer and politics and history. And I'm very excited for you to come on. Tell us all about yourself. What's going on? Thank you so much for having me, first of all, and for the invite. Um, it's truly an honor. Um, so for starters, um, my PhD is in Latin American studies and Spanish. That's also what I'm a professor of. It, but my research focuses on um, all sorts of popular culture stuff. So I wrote my dissertation on Carnival in Uruguay and like post-dictatorship stuff, censorship, things like that. So I've always kind of found ways to... Um, have my passions, like my, my passions of life become also academic. And as I tell my students all the time, like anything can be academic. You just have to find the way to look at, look at it that way. Right. Like it's the way that you look at stuff. So when my students are choosing like paper topics, I'm like, think outside the box, you know, you can write about this, you can write about this. Um, politics has also always been a part of my, like life, my parents were persecuted during the dictatorship in Uruguay, um, which was CIA backed and ordered Operation Condor 1975 to 1983. Um, so that's always been like in my blood, you know, it's genetic memory and it's trauma gets passed down, as you guys may know. Um, and so one of the, the ways I start these types of discussions is by saying, first of all, I really can't stand the the expectation of neutrality in any sort of media, right? Like mm -hmm. we are human beings and neutrality in the face of injustice is really just taking the part of the oppressor. So I think it's unrealistic to expect neutrality. And I'm, again, very passionate about stuff. And I think there are people, marginalized people mostly, that don't have the choice to not be political because politics is everything, right? It's not mm -hmm. who you vote for. It's literally every single thing that affects your life. And the more marginalized you are, the more it affects you. So I think it's quite privileged of these people that are like, oh, just kick the ball. There's no, you know, I don't want politics in my sports. It's like, well, no, it's not politics you don't want. It's the message because you don't have a problem with like ginormous USA flags being flown and and that's politics too. And so I like to kind of put things in perspective like that for people who are like, oh, you're so political. I'm like, I can't, first of all, I can't live any other way <laughs> because <laughs> this is stuff that's, it's literally people's lives. Um, but, but on top of that, of course it's connected. Like all of these things aren't born in a bubble, right? Everything right. has a connection to the real world. And so that's kind of how I'm able to tie my academic um, stuff and papers and publications and things with like my true passion, such as football and, and, and other popular culture things. Oh, this is amazing. Uh, L, I think we might break our record for the podcast today because I am so excited. <laughs> uh, last week L was like, I was like, who are we going to get on the guest? He was like, Oh, don't worry. It's already locked in. Um, but the first question we ask everyone is, um, when did you fall in love with soccer? 
Okay, so I did not have a choice. I was born a fan. Um, it's in my blood too. Um, and so this is related kind of to the Barcelona Real stuff we'll discuss in a bit. But like in Uruguay, um, there's there's all sorts of jokes and and commercials and things go around that like in Uruguay, children aren't born crying. They're they're born yelling gol instead of like <laughs> crying. And uh -huh. so it's really really rare to have a Uruguayan that's not into football. Um, and I'm no exception. So since birth, you know, I've ha I make a lot of jokes about teams that are newer to me. So like, I support Gladbach now in Bundesliga, but that's because Bundesliga was the first league to come back after COVID. And I was like, I'm going to pick a team. They're kind of hipster, like cool. Like it's not a big yeah. team. You know, I pick them. I'm like, oh, I what? I said they're playing good soccer, by the way, too. Right? Like, they, yeah. I mean, I did that. You're welcome to all the Gladbach fans. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but um i so i keep joking around i'm like this is my team since birth i'm six months old right but the joke is that i do have teams that i was born into peñarol is one of them that's my uruguay team boca juniors is my argentina my, my argentina team and barcelona also um all my grandparents and and great grandparents um and and family members who had to escape the civil war in spain is how they ended up in uruguay Barcelona is traditionally the team that stands for like anti-fascism. I'll get back into that in a little bit. And so I didn't have a choice. Um, I've kind of always grown up with it. And also always grown up with that secondary thing. Like in my house, Maradona, RIP, literally was God. Like that's no joke. People are like, oh, there's a church of Maradona. There really is. And like in my house, he was because of his political, you know, always like being outspoken and he was a hero in my house for the reason. So it's never been separate to me from other issues and it's never not been in my life. I, I have a lot of these discussions with folks who I've kind of gotten closer to through the pandemic and people who are like, oh, I chose this team or I, you know, I'm a fan for like 10 years or whatever. I'm like, yeah. I don't have that experience. I've never not been a fan. So it's been like in my blood since I was born. That's amazing. And before we unpack this, I got to ask, all right, Uruguay, Argentina, who has the better steak? <laughs> um, great question. I'm going to say Uruguay for one reason, and that's because Argentina is massive. And so it depends on where you go in Argentina. Like the Buenos Aires area has really, really good steak. All of the flatlands, right? Um, uh -huh. Because that's where the cows are happiest. And Uruguay is all flatlands. So I'm going to go Ur give Uruguay the edge, um, but only slightly, and I will eat either one. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, Argentina, Uruguay, Copa America final. Who are you cheering for? Oh my God, this question. I love it. Um, so really it's a win-win for me. <laughs> I don't have uh and this actually happened in 2011. Um, the final was Uruguay, Argentina, if I'm not mistaken, unless that we went all out for like a semifinal game. I think it was the final. Um Here's the thing, and everything I say about Uruguay and Argentina, I'm allowed to say it is not offensive because I'm from there, okay? okay. Argentinians are very full of themselves. <laughs> they are known for this, right? They're like <laughs> super like, oh, you know, we're so great. Everyone sucks. And I, I identify more with the Uruguayan side on that realm. Like I'm not, very, I don't like to shit talk. Uh, sorry, okay. I don't know if if we can curse on this podcast. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't like to like talk. Two cents. You're good. <laughs> I don't like to talk trash because I think it's arrogant. And I'm like, all right, I'll talk trash to you after we beat you. But I'm not going to do the taunting, like, oh, we're going to beat you thing. Like, that's ridiculous. So I did not get that kind of thing from Argentina. 
And Uruguay is a slight more underdog because they're a smaller country. So mm -hmm. I tend to go more for Uruguay than Argentina. But of course, I'm happy either way. And as long as I can in World Cups and in Copa America, I will root for both. Okay. Copa Libertadores. Penarol, Boca Juniors. Ay, Dios. This is a good one. Um, in recently, Peñarol is in shambles. Um, and Boca is doing pretty well. So I'm going to say if it was tonight, the matchup, I would go with Peñarol because they need a win. <laughs> okay, again, fair enough. It's fair a win-win. I love them both. And I would be happy either way. No, He's putting your allegiances to the test right yeah, now. I know, exactly. already, like in the hot seat. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I had the fortunate pleasure of going to both countries. And uh, I know we're going to talk about it later as we get into the show, but just two beautiful countries, a lot to unpack when it comes to the soccer and history there. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, all your efforts with the, the, you know, the political history, the history, the economics around soccer and what it means as in your line of work. Um, I know there's two books that are like famous when it comes to the soccer economics and like the, the world's game. Can, mm -hmm. can you like kind of talk about it and like kind of bring it all together? If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, about those two books in particular. No, just in, 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 oh, the, in, the, in, in the sense of like, yeah, how everything yeah. kind of coexists. So you have like you know, Celtics versus Rangers, Boca versus uh, yep. River Plate, all these, um, all these different themes within um, soccer and culture as you, you know, talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. So um, the, the easiest example, obviously, to use for me right now, like because it's fresh in my mind is Real Madrid and Barcelona, but this applies to many of the rivalries. Um, and it applies also to Peñarol and Nacional and applies to Boca and River. Um, in Argentina, River is known as Los Misionarios, right? That is the millionaires. Uh, that's not a co that's not an accident. That is not just a cute nickname, right? In Argentina, some of your listeners may know Boca is the team of the people. Right. It's the team like they play in a very traditionally working class area of Argentina. And River is from like this nicer area. They, you know, they, they literally proudly call themselves Michonarios. Like it's it's it that is a rooted in historical like concepts of like the rich versus the poor. When soccer is born, when football is born in England, you got the same issue, right? First, it's all these like rich boys that are like, oh, this is our like sport and we're playing it in like these, you know, um, like fancy clubs you have to pay to get into and whatever. And then what happens? Football comes over to the Americas. Also in Uruguay and Argentina, we've got the saying that the Brits invented football, but we perfected it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because think about it. It's not until it crosses to the Americas that we've got. Now we've got poor people playing it. I don't want to rile up any of the pro rel bros and I'll not be here to talk about that, but I do need to bring that oh, we up. Thought we, were, we thought we were going to get you on that one. We wanted, we wanted that one. <laughs> I will bring it up for one reason. Okay. Pro rel bros. And regardless of how you feel about pro rel, I think the thing that needs to happen in order for the U S to be good at football is abolishing pay to play. That's the first thing. We cannot talk pro rel while we have this pay to play system that is completely unjust. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound controversial to some rich kids are not good at sports. 
This is in general. Of course, there's exceptions. But if you've never wanted anything in your life, you don't know how to be hungry on a field, right? So what happens when you have to pay to play? Only the rich kids get in. Of course, you've got scholarships. I'm speaking in general terms, right? Of course, there's exceptions. But when the rule is that you have to have a certain level of income in order to even get in, that's a problem, right? Because poor people, poor athletes know what it's like to need to work for every single thing that you have. And that translates to how you play on the field, right? So now in England, we've got this rich people sport. It comes over to the end because now it's played by working class folks as a pastime. That's where we invent the, you know, juggling the pretty, the Jogo Bonito in Brazil and all of these, you know, like brilliant kind of tactics. Um, and then it, it goes back to Europe and then you've got the whole recolonization thing and whatever. But my point is none of these rivalries in these countries, this is a problem I have with MLS and manufactured and I love MLS, don't get me wrong, manufactured rivalries, I'm so over it. You can't manufacture a rivalry. You just can't. Yeah. Because look at Boca River and look at Pedrón Nacional and look at, you know, at these countries that have history. And I'm not saying that the U.S. can't have that history, but like give it a little time and let it be born. You cannot have a league where every single team has a rivalry. Rivalry week is such a joke, right? Every team, I'm sorry to say it, every single team just can't have a rival. That's not how this works. Yeah. And so now you've got this manufactured situation when all of these um, rivalries are born naturally because of these political differences or economic reasons or whatever, what have you. Now you've got these rivalries, right? Like they're organic. They're all types of stuff. Again, I'm going to get into the Barca and Real Madrid one mostly, but like, how what what better example can you get than tied to like that history of those two cities? So you can, I mean, it's almost irresponsible to be a fan and expect it to not be political. It's irresponsible. Uh, that's a great point. Uh, you got time today. This is amazing. Just to <laughs> just to understand, like, there's more to it than just like location. You know, there's more to it than just um, you know just because they play each other a lot and there's always a good game. Like there's actually historical ties to it, political statements around it. And as we've seen with Real Madrid and um, Barca, uh, I remember those Jose Pep days, obviously there were two powerhouses, but it was deeper than that. And um, you know, the way you explain it, it just means a lot. But I wanna get back to the point you said, the pay to play. And something that a coach had told me is like, when you see some of these players that come from, you know, lesser situations, um, you know, Luis Suarez, where, you know, it, it's either this or his family is going to be in the same situation as they are before that, yeah. that mindset. And we talk about, that's why, you know, we need to have our best athletes playing soccer. It's the same mindset when, you know, people are playing basketball, people playing football. It's like, you know, I got to get my family out the hood and this is the way we want to do it. So every time I come back to school, come back from school, we're playing until mom calls me home. And this is, this is how I was going to make it. It's like we're here. It's like, you know, I remember her guys like, ah, if, if, if coach doesn't play me this year, I'm just going to go to school. I'm just going to be a doctor. Uruguay, Brazil, Argentina, Africa, everywhere else. What? No, nah, yeah. that's not really an option. So I, I, I love that you brought that up. 
a privilege there. I mean, it's just like palpable, it's palpable, right? Yeah, when that's your only choice. And I mean, it's almost every single player, like Neymar came out of the favelas, like Messi came from nothing. Like you've got this, you know, this different type of hunger that you see even in players that grew up um, more privileged that make it, that you're like, it's not the same. It's just yeah. not the same, right? There's no option. It's the exact same thing that's really comparison. And we've got the same type of like obstacles, right? Um, for, for those types of those types of players and in, in all the sports. And to, to be fair, it's not to downplay, you know, if you grew up in a privileged uh, environment. We're not saying like, you know, move to the Flavelas. Uh, Is that how it's pronounced? <laughs> yeah. Uh, not like go there, but like you got to expose yourself to different environments because you may have, you know, kind of been uh, coddled as they, as we like yeah. to say in some situations. So um, before we get into the topics, I got to ask one question because Argentina, you talked about Diego being a god. I saw the HBO documentary. So, um, explain this because he didn't play at Bar- uh, at Boca for that long. Like I think a total of 4 years. Why is he so renowned there? It's not like he won like back-to-back trophies or anything like that, but can you explain that? Yeah, um it is um like in Spanish it's un, es un sentimiento. It's like in the short time that he was there, um, there is that connection with his off the field. I don't want to say persona because persona implies a like a fakeness to it. Like uh-huh. who he was as a person, the connection that he made with those people having come from nothing, having been discriminated against because obviously, and we're going to get into race stuff in a bit. And like Argentina is one of the most racist countries. And that Back. applies to anyone who is like our Argentinian descendant for sure. But anyone who's indigenous gets heavily discriminated against. And he, his grandparents were indigenous, but he doesn't have the typical Argentinian like long hair, blue eyed look. He, he, he didn't have that. So he was darker than than some. So what happens in this society that's super racist? He's got there was that level to it. Playing okay. for Volca, he was like the face of the movement against that discrimination. Not necessarily even talking about it always, but just like by being the type of player that he was, by like giving those people a voice, by hanging out with just regular folks and going to their house for steak, right? Like that you mentioned, like the Estado, it's like such a huge thing. So it's about him always calling out injustice, always calling out imperialism. And that is also the heart of what Boca is. Of course, now we've got capitalism, which ruins everything, and you've got money, and you've got corruption, and all that stuff on the big level at Boca Juniors as a, like a big team worldwide. But the heart of Boca has always been in the streets with the people, and that's who he was too. So even though he wasn't there for a long time, he like touched so many people that it was almost like he never left for wherever he went. And and he also was proudly a fan of Boca, le- renownedly, mm. and, like his whole life, and always like giving back, always going back, always going to games, no matter where he lived, he would always make it. So it was about that connection of the field more so than what he was able to do on the field, which was also no small feat. Like they did good, you know, and and mm. he was he was excellent. Um, but again, it's that connection that's that you can't explain because so few players really are able to reach it, especially when you look at 
in his area, not so much, but it was starting um, how young players leave, right? Yeah. Now you've got someone that's, look at Messi, like he left at 10 years old, 11 years old to, to go to La Masia. And so he never got a chance to develop and he still got a connection with Newell's. Everyone knows about Newell's old boys because of him, right? Yeah. And so so that's what it is. It's more that connection with the people, with the sentiment of what Boca is than like the actual playing time. No, that's important. And like, obviously not, we can't really compare too many athletes to Maradona, but that impact you have not only on the field, but off the field, like that he has his own box. And I was like watching him, like, I thought he was like the coach on some games when they showed him like going over the ledge and doing all that stuff. So when it comes to <laughs> Boca, obviously Maradona, he's like a God, but you know, yeah. you got other guys coming up like a Tevez where, I feel like Tevez is, you know, um, someone that is very renowned within Boca, but yep. uh, I appreciate that explanation when it comes to, cause I, I was really wondering, I saw the documentary. I was like, well, he was at another club where he started, then he went to Barca, then Napoli. Um, so I was just trying to figure, figure, figure it all out. Yeah. Everywhere he went, he would rep for Boca too, though. Yeah. And that was another thing that like he put Boca on the map. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Um, what else you got? L, you got anything? Because I, yeah, I feel so, like this is going to be a, a long podcast. I'm excited. That's <laughs> nah, all good. So you support various teams, obviously. But if you can only support one team for the rest of your life, which would it be? Oh, my God. This Okay, I've never gotten this question. This is tough. I might say I would rather die than choose <laughs> one. Um, one team for the rest of my life. It's tough because Maradona just died, and I don't know if that's what is like clouding it. But I, I would have to go Boca. I would, and also because Peñarol is in shambles right now, like, in, like corruption wise too. So I'm like, if you, yeah, like right now, it would have to be Boca. Respect. I got another question to follow up to that. So I had the fortune and pleasure of going to Argentina, Uruguay. We went to Boca River Plate game. We went to Newell's Old Boys Boca game. If there is one game in Argentina that you would recommend for like a soccer fanatic or someone to go to um which game is it what stadium why Explain um it. yeah I'll answer but let me ask you a question Wh where did you see Boca River I saw it at Boca Stadium I, okay. I thought I, I thought I wasn't gonna make it out alive <laughs> I was there was doing the little things uh I was just like I can't even enjoy the game in peace like it was it was a yeah. whole experience Listen, you cannot, you, you like, you go for the atmosphere and then you watch the game at home later on a replay. <laughs> like, no, um, that's the game. That is the game. You know, a dream of mine, um, like a pipe dream is to start like a football tourism company. Um, just like world, like I, I love, you know, traveling for football and things like that. Um, oh, and let's talk. We got, hey, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk. No, it's, yeah. I've got connections like really like down there um so yeah no i'm excited so that's a pipe dream and that would be that's like the number one game like you go to la bombonera and you watch boca river in la bombonera because it's tiny you can't escape there's nowhere to go you can't escape that atmosphere like you can, you've been there like it's yeah. it's an otherworldly experience yeah like it's a it's a very dangerous area there's all sorts of stuff you know and that's where like the the um, 
the tourism company would come in to like, you know, provide like kind of like education and like and escorts. <laughs> but um, it's funny. I went to a game. I forget what it was. It was like some random team. It was like Vélez Sarsfield, I think, was was the home team. And the team that was traveling was maybe Racing. I don't remember. And literally the traveling bus of the team that was coming had bullet holes in it. Like they are not like you. We did. I didn't have like a camera, a phone, like nothing on me because you just. You, you just know, know, like you, you, yeah. you got to be smart about it. Like you live your memories and like forget the pictures. <laughs> um, but that and that's that's the reality of it. Um, but that's like literally the game that should be on everyone's bucket list. Boca no. River at La Bombonera. No, Nothing I else. Like I completely agree. I just wanted to ask uh, another question I have, you know, so with the influx of, you know, Argentina, Uruguayan players coming into uh, MLS uh, playing in the States, how has that helped? U.S. exposure um, in South America or vice versa? Interesting question. Um, as you know, MLS also doesn't have the best reputation in the world <laughs> in terms yeah. of the level of football. I think it's because it's a young league and there's all sorts of stuff there. Um, I think they're more amused. First of all, the thing that really I can't stop thinking about is uh, Nico Lodeiro drinking mate out of the cup the other night, like uh -huh. the like the cup that he won. That image, um, I tweeted about it. I don't uh, like it's when I moved here. I was a child. It was 1993. Like my parents, you know, would we would we would go everywhere, and they would bring mate with them everywhere. Okay, mate is something my parents to this day. We've been in this country like however many years, and there's not one day that goes by that they don't drink it. Okay, now everyone knows what mate is, partially because of football and partially because uh, of, you know. But back then, no one knew. They would get stopped by cops to be like, what is that? Like, is that drugs, right? Because, I mean, it looks like, you know, it's this gourd. It's got green stuff in it. Cops yeah. are cops. Um, so it was, it's so amazing to me that the MLS account, like a major league account, tweeted this video of Lodeiro drinking mate when I've had this experience with mate that was like completely <laughs> bad. Like, I never would have thought that this would have happened. So I think it's amusing more than anything else in Argentina and Uruguay to kind of say, Oh my God, look, like they're drinking mate. Like, okay, Lodeiro's killing it in the league. Like LAFC is like a mini Uruguay, right? Like, um, yeah, um, Valeri was the first one of the first ones to really put Argentina's name on the map in MLS. Um, it's not as much of like a, I don't know how to word it. Like, it's not like they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, like we've made it. I think it's the other way around. I think because Uruguay and Argentina have such a strong football history, like mm -hmm. the first World Cup ever was played in Uruguay and Uruguay won it. You know, there's like all sorts of stuff that they don't really see this as like a step up. If anything, like when Lodeiro came to MLS, he stopped getting called up to the national team. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that happened. But he's been balling, to be fair. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, I'm glad he's, really he's back with the national team. He said, um, I, I, I hate to say this because I have a strong love-hate, distaste relationship with Luis Suarez because of what he did in the 2010 World Cup. Mm -hmm. But that's just how this, this is, you know, soccer. I would have probably done the same situation. It just, it just happened against the team I was supporting. So yeah. I just had to, you know, apologize. 
It's just I, right no, now. don't. I apologize on behalf of my people. Um, <laughs> no, I know that's like it's kind of a sore subject, and there's so much to it. But yeah, what a lot of people who once you like calm down and you're rational, it's like, all right, he did. Like they got the penalty and then they missed it. Like what can like yeah. he? It, it was an instinct. He did it, and like you know, it could have gone the fair way. I believe in the football gods heavily. Like I'm like heavily, like very, very superstitious when it comes to football and like where I sit and what I wear and, you know, um, and so that was like, okay, the football gods that day were on our side and like they gave the penalty and they just <laughs> missed it. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. oh, no, it's, 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 it's football. That's, I, I always say one thing. Well, I say many things as you might be able to tell. Uh, one of my things I say is a lot of people will say, this is why I don't trash talk too. They'll say like, oh, such and such team is playing such and such. let's say a third place team is playing a 16th place team. And they're like, oh, of course, the third place team is going to win. It's like, no, that's the whole point of football, right? If yeah. football were logical, we would look at a piece of paper, see which team is better on paper and then go, well, here you go. The points we don't need to play. But that's precisely why we play, because sports is not logical. Anything can happen on a field. Yeah. And that day it went Uruguay's way. And then maybe we suffered for it karmically for a couple years after who knows. But, uh, that's, that, that's why I love it. Like I get so pissed. You like, I get the first time my best friend, like when I was in grad school, who I had never interacted with on football level, the first time she saw me watch a game, she was like, are you okay? Like, are like, do we need to call someone? Cause I am a different person. It literally affects me so much. But then once I'm able to calm down and look at things rationally, I'm like, it's what it is. It is I what it is. I completely agree. I can't watch keep the game with people because I'm like up, I'm down, I'm like cussing. I'm like, oh no, I can't. I need to be like in my little man cave or my little section and just yeah, I feel you on that. I feel you on that. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, I'm but, in a constant state of despair these days with the way Arsenal's playing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, I mean, and Atlanta too. United, the way they ended the season. <laughs> God, yeah. Bad. It the world it's something's going on, man, with these teams. Like it's it's not a fun Talk time for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you, you talked about the history of Uruguay. Um, I know we're going to get into topics. Uh, um, what are some iconic moments in soccer history where you would, if I'm new to soccer, um, that you would recommend for someone to, you know, look into? It depends on how far back we want to go. Um you mean like Uruguay and Argentina specific or world? Let's, just, uh, let's go world. Okay. Um, I'm going to go 1986 World Cup, Maradona. Okay. Um, I'm going to go um, Obdulio Varela for Uruguay World Cup. Um, well, there's two. They're 1930 and 1950. Um, I'm going to go 2011 Copa America. Oh, okay. Why, why that one? Because that was the that was the that that was the game that was Uruguay Argentina that literally it was cutthroat because so Uruguay is the winningest country in the history of the world in terms of officially FIFA sanctioned cups like in the world they've got nineteen no other country literally like no country in Europe nowhere else has that many cups like in total right World Cups Olympic Cups and uh, and Continental Cups at that point. Uruguay and Argentina both had 14 Copa Américas, and that was the tiebreaker. And Argentina was like, you know, treating us like the little brother, yeah. like 
you know, oh, we're going to beat you and stuff like that. And we were just like, all right, the silent like underdogs, right? Yeah. And then we beat them. And I say we beat them and I'm also from Argentina. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's but um, that that's a that was that was a, a cutthroat one. That was a dogfight. I remember that one. Ooh. I'm going to go. This is going to be so out of character, but I'm going to go the first. And I don't remember the year. The first year that the Red Bulls won the Supporter Shield and Petkey was coaching. And that's for sentimental reasons, because I was a big fan of Petkey and like the Red Bulls had never and still have never won anything major. But they got that that supporter shield in that game i was like it was i cried like literally okay. it, it was so good um how to pick a messy moment i don't i would say watch all of the messy tape that you can yeah. um <laughs> in fact i Ooh, tell people TV plus. you want to fall in love with football just watch messy He's got something that others don't have that is, again, it's it's like Maradona-esque, not on the same level, um, but first of all, where else is there la that level of loyalty to one team? Uh, there, yeah. You don't see it. Anymore. No one stays on one team for life anymore. They just don't. That's just not. Well, he's not. He's, he's, he's leaving soon. I think. I think it's his. It's time. I actually, I want him to at this point. Yeah, Barcelona's it's, it's, in shambles. Um, so yeah, any messy moment, um, I'm, I'm clouded, I'm clouded by Maradona and I like, can't think outside that bubble, like Maradona at Boca, like I'm thinking of those like iconic images of him, like, you know, lifting cups, no, yeah. Maradona at Napoli, what he did at Napoli also, again, in terms of social justice, because Italy is one of the most racist countries in Europe, as we all know, <laughs> and like Napoli within that at that point was getting super heavily discriminated against for being slightly darker, right, yeah. than the rest of Italy. And now they've got a South American. Do you know how insulting that is to racists in Italy? Like <laughs> back in the day where there was no South Americans playing anywhere. Um, so that he was a beauty to watch in Napoli yeah. just because it was like a slap in the face to imperialism. And like, I can't separate those things. No, that's amazing. Like for them to like rename their stadium, this just shows you the impact that he had. And, um, uh, two questions. I know it's, it's it's tough right now. Do you think it's fair to compare Diego and Messi? Like, as like who's the best Argentinian player? Um, I feel like it, it, it's it's fair, but it's unfair at the same time. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I think comparing fair. I think like judging is not like judging them's not so first of all the eras are completely different even maradona said because a lot of the thing that people have an issue with messi for in terms of best player in the world or whatever is that he hasn't won um a cup with argentina but that's not even maradona said this like as like really recently um you can't bring that in you can't necessarily hold that against him because yeah. there, it's one thing to play on a team like Barcelona, and it's one thing to play on a team like Argentina where, like, the problems that Argentina has been having in terms of, like, all of the finals, you know, that uh, that, that that they've, you know, but, like, just completely, like, uh, killed. Um, you can't put that on Messi. Yeah. There's problems in Argentina that are so deep in the federation. And, like, yeah, just what's up with that? Like it's, what's what's up with their federation stuff? It's rotten to the core. They I've got a big issue with people calling for the heads of managers prematurely. 
Mm-hmm. I actually think this happened with Maradona. I think if they if they had given Maradona more time as coach of Argentina, things would have turned around. But they gave him like not even one full cycle. Yeah. <laughs> um. To be fair, he should have brought Zanetti and Cambiasso to the 2010 World Cup. Yeah, I and that's and that's the thing. Then, like, can you? Like, how do you justify it? I'm also yeah. a big fan of Bielsa. Like, Bielsa is another oh, guy yeah. in my house, right? Yeah. And, like, he says that all the time, and it, it sounds arrogant, but it's like, how can we put ourselves in that position? Everything in hindsight. Yeah, you're right. Right? In hindsight, everything. So, I don't know. Maradona himself said, you can't hold that against Messi. I'm going to go by that word and say, I don't judge them against each other. Um, Maradona loved, loved Lionel. Lionel loved Maradona, like two of the greatest players in the history of the world. I'm comfortable with the, with the two of them sharing that. I, I, I don't think either one of them wanted or wants to like be better than the other one. Yeah. In fact, I think Messi doesn't even want to be in that discussion of like, am I better than Maradona? He, he wants no part of that because it's just such a, you know, it, it, he's such an icon that it's like so you compare them for sure in terms of even like stature right like similar players like similar history of where they played but and like similarly built both like really quick really tiny um but beyond that you know it's friendly it's not like competition i think yeah that's a great point it's almost like i don't want to compare it to like mj kobe um but it's almost similar in the sense yeah. of like i think Messi that's grew up idolizing Maradona um, and use them as hunger. And then uh, the follow-up question is uh, not related, but kind of related. I'm really big on conspiracies and I know there's soccer conspiracies. So (laughs) I want to ask if you have any conspiracies that you might want to share in the soccer world. I know the, there's a rumor about the 98 world cup. Ronaldo um, was sick. Um, Oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. I know, you know, Maradona, Napoli, some mob ties. I don't want to speak on them. You know, rest in peace. That's, mm-hmm. But do you got any conspiracies for us? I just, I just okay. want to know. I've got two, and I'm going to say they're not conspiracies. They're real, okay? Oh, oh okay. Uh- <laughs> I told you I got my notepad out. I'm ready. <laughs> Here's the first one. Um, and there's all sorts of, you know how conspiracies are, like you like have like deep dives and research and whatever, and it's like, okay, whatever you believe, you believe. I heavily believe this is true. Again, Uruguay has won major trophies, huge history. Uh, it per capita, they've got more worldwide like class players than Brazil does per capita because Brazil's a massive country and, and Uruguay has three million people, right? So Uruguay is this giant when it comes to the history of football, and yet it's a country of three million. So FIFA is out to get Uruguay out of World Cups immediately every single time because it's not good for FIFA for Uruguay to make it because we don't sell jerseys because there's only 3 million of us. There's only so many jerseys we're going to buy. We don't sell tickets to games and it, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit FIFA in any way. FIFA I think is the most corrupt organization on the planet um, for Uruguay to do well in this day and age. So they do all sorts of stuff that 2010 world cup, the, 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 um, the Netherlands game was a complete sham Again, maybe it was the karma, maybe it was the football gods, whatever. But, like, there was all sorts of dirty play on Netherlands' side that was just ignored because it would not pay FIFA for Uruguay to be in a World Cup final. It just wouldn't. And so all sorts of stuff 
comes in there with things that have happened, sanctions that have never before been seen for things that, you know, could go either way. That's a real one. I'm here for that. I'm here for it. Especially with Uruguay's golden generation, Suarez, Cavani, like all you got, uh, all the players. Golden Boot, 2010 Um, World Cup. Like, that was. I'm here for it. I I might, I might go down that rabbit hole. I might. (laughs) We've got more. That one. And then the other one actually is Maradona related too, which is the 1994 World Cup. And this is, again, it's, I believe it is not a conspiracy theory. I think it has a lot to do with speaking of going beyond football to politics. Um, Maradona being very outspoken, anti capitalist, anti imperialist, coming to the most imperialist country in the world at the moment. And FIFA fixed it so that he would be found you know, with uh, the substance or whatever in his, um, in his, in his test, he was very specifically chosen. It was all very targeted and he was not on any performance enhancing drugs at that time. Cause he was never not honest about his drug use. That's one mm-hmm. thing you could say a lot of things about him, but he's never tried to hide any of it. And so at that moment in, in time, it was either planted. There's all sorts of theories. But 1994, FIFA and the USA teamed up to get Maradona out of that World Cup. You can read, if you haven't read Soccer in Sun and Shadow by Eduardo Galeano. Show notes. We're going to put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. I mean, highly, highly recommend. Not just because of this. There's like, It's like a really, yeah. really good book. Like Sports Illustrated actually called it one of their like 100 best sports books in the history of, of books or whatever. Um, but that, that one, a thousand percent. Like, And you can read a little more about it in that book. Okay, so 94, come to U.S. Dang, because technically he would have been 86, 90. They don't want him to go three finals in a row. Oh. And listen, the the CIA, like, meddling in things is not new. We see it everywhere in Latin America. It is not far-fetched. It is not get our a podcast. Small... <laughs> <laughs> listen, I could go all day, but... It's, it's real. Interesting, because when everyone thinks '94 World Cup, it's like you know the the birth of the rebirth of soccer in America. Obviously, you know, rest in peace to what happened to Escobar from Colombia, um, Brazil, starting their golden generation. But people do forget that that was supposed to be Maradona's like final curtain call. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. I, I, I'm going that. down. I'm I'm going down that rabbit hole for sure. I'm yeah, we might have to do a part two because there's, there's way too many stories to, <laughs> to fit in the fit in the box. So we're definitely gonna do a part two. Gladly, yeah, you, you're coming back for sure. Sure. Before we jump into the academics, we want to play a quick game with you called Two Truths and a Cap. So okay, you're gonna right. tell you're gonna tell us three facts. Two of them will be true. One of them will be a lie, and we have to try and guess what the lie is. Okay. Okay. All right. um, uh, are they soccer related or uh... they're soccer related i i have some already i got a little like birdie told me that this might happen um <laughs> <laughs> so i planned some um and they are all football related so nice. i'm ready i'm ready to go all right let me just because right. i i'm between two um all right here they are i'll just say them all I was at the Champions League match in 2019 in Paris where United turned it around on PSG. Um, I've been to two World Cups. And the third one is I've been an MLS fan since day one, and I was at the very first Metro Stars game ever. 
I think that Ooh. third one is the cap. So, L, you going with uh, she was a, a, a Metro Stars from the beginning? Yeah. Well, she cap? is a well, hold on because <laughs> she is a Red Bull fan. So, yeah, she was talking crazy nah, I'm, about how all right, all right, I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go Paris. I'm gonna go Paris final. Ah, that's so tough, cap. man. You like you don't just bring up that moment and say that's cap, you know? So, and she's like, you're like a world traveler to uh, two World Cups. I don't think you've been to two World Cups. That's the cap for me. All right, so two World Cups. Another one is the Champions League match. Yeah. Um. So the Champions League match is true. I I was at that at that um <laughs> that it was insane. Um, and just a minor story, literally two seconds. That trip was crazy because I went to London and the day I landed on no sleep, went to two Premier League games. That was going to be another one of my things. I went to two Premier League games in one day on no sleep. Like, a, I, I don't know what I was thinking. And then that same week, traveled to Paris for that match. It was insane. Like, as a United fan, like, United turned it around. It was the craziest thing in Parc de Ponce. Come on. Uh. I mean, like. You tell your grandchildren about that. Um, <laughs> I have been an MLS fan since day one. I still have the first Metro Stars ticket uh, with Tab Ramos on it. Uruguayan oh, connection. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't been to two World Cups, but um, interestingly, in 2010, I was in Madrid for the entire month of the World Cup, and they won the, and Spain won that World Cup. Craziest month of my life. Literally, like the stories are insane. And so, yeah, I, I have not been to a World Cup yet. Um, it's on the list. Um, but but that 2010 story, also never forget a second of it. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, what an amazing game. So, I mean, to that point, I know we're getting off to- – uh, I'm not getting off topic or off tangent. Do you think uh, – I know obviously Catalonia, they've already, you know, made their own national team. Do you think it's ever going to be a point where they don't play – like people from Catalonia don't play for Spain? Like moving forward? Um, I will say this. I am a separatist and I hope it does happen for them for political reasons based on the fact that Madrid has been like traditionally so fascist um, and like the repression and especially during the civil war and things like that is like just awful. Um, I hope it does happen. I think it won't happen um, because Madrid won't allow it because La Liga won't allow it because what happens to La Liga if they lose Barcelona? You, I mean, oh, like, yeah, it's, it's unheard of. And look at Brexit, right? We've been doing this whole thing. It's been Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. And, like, nothing's happened, really. <laughs> like, in actuality, they voted for it. But, like, they're still there. You know, there's, like, all, they're kind of, like, in this limbo of, like, will they, won't they still. So I think separatist movements, well, Brexit's different because Brexit is white supremacist. And, Bar- and the Barcelona one's the complete opposite. But, um... I don't think it will, but I do want it to for their sake. Okay. Well, could they be like separate, but then like um, still playing the La La Liga? I don't think so. I think that's the big thing that's coming into play is that if they leave Spain, that's it. La Liga Spain. And that's it. And that's the reason why El País Vasco, the the Basque uh, region, is still kind of in that limbo because the Basque region is super independent in terms of the way they like – live their lives, but they're still technically part of Spain. And I genuinely believe, believe a big part of that is La Liga. Oh, my ball, El, El, uh, good job. No, I was saying that's the perfect segue, actually. Um, 
to get into these topics. So yeah. I'm kind of going going a little bit out of order, but Let's Barcelona Real Madrid this is deeper yeah. than football. So and look, this can go be ahead a and get brief, into it. We can we can make it a brief and then like have a part two. But um, I have a thread about this that was a like went like probably as viral as I'll ever go. Not super crazy, just a couple. It did some numbers. Um, it's a whole thing, right, about like Real Madrid and Barca. Um, historically. Civil war in Spain, the dictator in Spain, his name is Francisco Franco, and he is part of, you know, the team with like Mussolini, with Hitler. So like he's fascist, like a thousand percent fascist, repressive, like, you know, dictator. And we talk about this stuff also in when I teach. I talk a lot about this because people confuse words and I think words are important. People tend to not know what fascism means or or confuse fascism with communism, which like they're co the complete opposite. In fact, without communism, we don't defeat fascism just as a world, literally. And that's now we've got all these people that are anti-communism, but they don't know what communism means either. So my big thing is defining terms, right? So fascist, dictator, military, repressive, far right wing right like they hate gay people they hate black people they hate anyone brown people like at that point there was a lot of like roma people that were getting you know targeted um so spain gets this dictator in the their civil wars 19 their civil wars 1936 to 1939 he comes in spain doesn't like Hitler died fairly quickly into the in, into the whole thing. Well, Franco was in power for like over 20 years. So they've got 20 years of repression and nothing gets in that. When you look at like their literature, their artistic like um, creations, nothing gets made in that period because artists either have to leave. Picasso, famously anti-fascist um, artist, he has to leave. So anyone who's a creative or who's any sort of like intellectual mind has to leave or they're literally murdered for their thought for for thinking differently um francisco franco is a fan of real madrid catalonia um sir as a city serves as kind of an oasis for refugees escaping that fa that heavy repressive fascism in Madrid, which is where the, the, the dictatorship is centered, right? A lot of people are probably going to come at us after this who are Real Madrid fans who are like, no, this is all fake, whatever. I have done the research. Like, <laughs> like I'm talking I to a PhD you, professor, like, <laughs> like it's all true. But what I want, the reason I bring that up is because I'm not saying, although see, I do believe that, Real Madrid fans are fascists, but like, that's a little side note, right? I am not saying that we have to today shun Real Madrid fans. The reason I talk about this a ton is because you can't erase history. And so all of the success that Real Madrid had under Franco, which was up to 1975 that he died, is, is, that, is questionable at best. You've got images of Real Madrid during this time doing the Nazi salute openly available you've got a team that has never openly apologized or owned up to it and I think one of the main things for any country that's gone through any sort of trauma and this is related for example this includes even like slavery or the genocide of, of the indigenous folks in the U.S. the reason we as a nation aren't getting past that is because the U.S. will never stand up and admit what they did and truly say this is a turning point. And today we we're going to um, 
um, disavow our history and what we did and move forward. The example is the Holocaust in Germany, right? Germany did a full 180 and said, that was wrong. And now it is illegal to be a Nazi. Now it is illegal to have a swastika, right? You take responsibility as a nation and you can move on. If you don't do that, it's never going to happen, right? So that never happened in Spain. Uh, Real Madrid never came out to say, this is our history and we disavow it. So you've got this gray area. You've definitely got some of their fans that are still fascist to this day because fascism hasn't died. Um, historically, what Franco did to Catalonia repress their language because in Spain, there are at least four languages that are, that are nationally recognized, if not, and, but then there's a few more that are like regional. And Catalonia speaks Catalan, right? During his reign, it was illegal for you to speak Catalan in Spain. So a lot of the ways that we talk about Barca today are, are evolved from that period of fascism, like changing the order of <clears throat> Camp Nou to calling it the new camp, or, you know, even like certain things that are said in Spanish. That's the reason why Barcelona has so many of their sayings in Catalan, the language, and not in Spanish, because they were repressed for so long. And that's the history. That's the true history of it, right? It was repressed. They were like looked at as less than. So when you've got this history and he was in power for so long, who in their right mind under a fascist right wing military dictator is going to go against that dictator and say, no, you know what, Real Madrid, you're going to lose that. So anything they won under Franco is at best questionable, but probably just here you go, like take this win. Um, and so again, it's not about a lot of people come at me. I got so much for that, for that thread of people like me and whatever. And it's like, first of all, I'll read a book. Secondly, again, I'm talking about the history and you cannot neglect that because you see the types of players that Real Madrid still attracts. Sorry. Like aside from the fact that I'm a Messi fan, a Barcelona fan, I could never stand CR7, right? Like never, even before the rape stuff, because he was arrogant, so full of himself, obsessed with himself more than like his skill, you know, like playing like so like I can't stand arrogance. I really cannot. It's like triggering for me, right? That's the type of player that Real Madrid attracts. And all joking aside about the rivalry, that is leftovers from when you've got this, this figure pushing this patriarchal you know, like society, it's left over, right? Like Benzema is one of the worst people to play today. He's like blackmailed, you know, like teammates. He's like done like such stuff with like, you know, you've got like this minor situation where it's like, did she consent? Did she not? And I'm not saying there's not bad players everywhere, but you've definitely got like a legacy there. And Real Madrid refuses to disavow it so yeah the reason I'm a Barca fan from again my family escaped that civil war and so you've got this tradition of Barca being Barca the team and Barcelona the city being inherently anti-fascist in its in its inherent sense right now we overuse words too like in the true sense of that word it stood for liberty and freedom and for 
anti-fascism. And so it is more than just a fandom. It's like, those are your values. So you're a fan of that team. Now, I will not sit here and act like they're pure, like they are like that today. Because let's be honest, modern football and money is ruining everything. So right now you've got a corrupt board. You've got certainly corrupt stuff happening, but that's because money comes in. Now you've got this whole system, whatever. And so I'm talking traditionally and where a lot of us traditionalists fall in terms of Barcelona is that inherent anti-fascism that you can't shake, right? Um, If it's evolved to be something that now I wish it weren't, but that's just a brief like (laughs) intro really into that history. Can you break down really quick? You mentioned um, like Camp New versus New Camp. Can you kind of, you know, unpack that a little bit? Sure. So grammatically, um, Catalan and Spanish are similar, but there's ways where they're peculiarly exact opposites in terms of grammatically where, like, you know, I mean, I don't know when the last time was you you took a grammar class. A lot of people are like, what the hell is a a noun? But um, there are rules. And like, if we're talking about a green plate, I can't say here's this plate green to you. Cause you're going to go, what? That, like, that's not how grammar works, right? Like there's an order of things. So Catalan has a lot of the opposite um, adjective rules than Spanish does. And so what that is, is, and which, which English does too. So in Spanish, you do say plate green, you say plato verde, right? It's flipped. And so what he did by flipping that order was establish a level of fascism linguistically, which then gets passed down. So what he's saying is, in Catalan, it is illegal. So now we're changing that order. We're changing that name. And it's a way to repress that seems, it's a microaggression. It's a traditional microaggression in the original sense of like, okay, no one died, but it's a way that I'm repressing your language, right? And so like he went to that level to be like, to change stuff like that all the time in terms of they weren't able to use any of their slogans or anything. That one's minor, but that flipping of the order does change things. I mean, that's just not how grammar works. And so that's just one example, but there's like tons of ways that he repressed that are not outwardly violent, but they fall into that like microaggression category. So the appropriate way to say it would be new camp then, right? No, it's Camp Nou. It's Camp Nou. Okay. New Camp. And you'll find people say this. uh, You'll find people still say this, like a lot of the United Stations, um, because my whole thing also is that America is a continent. And so we say United States when we mean United States, because America is a whole continent. Um, United States, um, you know, uh, commentators and things like that will say, like, will say uh, New Camp a lot. And that's left over from that time. So it's Camp Nou. Cool. Just want to make sure I'm saying it correctly. No, that's 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 big. I think the biggest thing that I want to take away is that you know the culture still stays. So whether it's owners, boards, players, they come and go, but the culture of the club and what it means to the community, the history, that's always going to stay. And um, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I really, you know, from an educational standpoint. I think more people need to incorporate soccer and history and politics and, you know, because this was actually fun to learn about. I've been a Madrid fan since uh, Mourinho got there. 
um, you know, Madridista, but like learning about this is like, whoa, uh, I might have to switch the allegiances, but, um, (laughs) and listen, I will say this now too. And, and, and whenever I, I need to say it again. I love to teach. It's my true passion. I am a professor. I am a teacher before that. I taught high school. Like I've never wanted to do anything else. And so I, I teach, right? But I don't pretend, I'm not a moralist. I don't pretend that I am not complicit. So one of the things is that people love to do, and this is again, to bring up MLS, but when the David Villa stuff happened, which is awful, and he should definitely should be fired and all of that stuff. But what a lot of people did with that was they took it as an, as an opportunity to rail against NYCFC. And what I was tweeting about that during that was like, let's not kid ourselves and not and think that this is an NYCFC problem. Because first of all, as a woman in football, I can tell you misogyny is very widespread. And I can guarantee you that that situation is the rule and not the exception. So let's I, always, I say this a ton. Let's not play moralists, because if we today participate in buying jerseys and going to games and paying for Peacock or whatever, you know, other thing, we're giving our money to FIFA and we are all complicit and we better act like it. We better not be hypocrites and be like, I'm pure because I'm a Barcelona fan and you're a fascist. No, 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 no. I'm very aware that I'm a hypocrite for supporting Barcelona today, for supporting Manchester United today, and for going to the PSG stadium and buying a ticket. Like, this is dirty oil money, right? Like, I'm not delusional in that sense to be like, switch teams. Because if we're football fans in 2020, we are all complicit. And so I can't say I'm that moralist, like, I'm so much pure. This happens a lot with USL fans. Or like lower league fans are like, oh, MLS, that's the, you, you like just want to give your money to this big league and like we're right. so pure. And it's like, do you think that lower league teams don't have racism and don't have misogyny? Because I hate to break it to you. It's a systemic issue, right? Yeah. And so you don't have to switch teams. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, true. <laughs> but it's just yeah. being aware of that, that like, you know, it's just part of it. I'm not even going to lie. When I saw your thread, I was like, damn, I can't get this Marcelo jersey now. I've been, <laughs> never been planning on getting because he's one of like my favorite players. But Marcelo is like, my one exception. I think Marcelo's like, no, because I love Zidane as well. Marcelo is like the one Real Madrid plan, the player that I've ever not hated <laughs> besides Zidane. So. No, but from the player perspective, like playing for Real Madrid, uh, Barcelona, I know Javi, uh, Xavi, However, the correct pronunciation of his name, he was always outspoken. Puyol was always outspoken when it came to the press in terms of, and you know, issues. But from it the, is too. Uh, sorry, who else? PK. Oh, yeah, PK. Oh, yeah, he's very outspoken. Um, but from like a new signee or, you know, obviously if you're a Spanish signee for either one of those teams, is it almost like you already know about the history and you have to like, you know, thread lightly and how you speak to the press because I imagine if you're a Madrid player speaking you know in favor of Barca it's not going to go over well you might have to get a knock on the door a thousand percent no they know everyone knows and they know like and that this is why I feel like they attract that type of player because you have like I can't say because I've obviously never been a professional player but I'm 99% sure that if I were a professional player and I had the opportunity to play for Real Madrid, I never would. I just couldn't. Like, it's so ingrained in me what it is historically that I would be like, sorry, I would rather play for a third division team 
and maybe I'm saying that because I don't have that opportunity. Like maybe, you know, it's a delusion, sure. but there are certain players and I believe like Pujol was one, you know, I believe, you know, all of these outspoken like four Catalonia players, I don't think they would have ever been able to like put that aside to play for Real Madrid. And so that's why I think it's such an unspoken thing that if you end up there, you've already kind of at least compromised your values in some way that it's like, yeah. you're, it's a type of personality. I, I know Figo played for both teams and it's different because he's Portuguese, but was it Luis, Luis Enrique? He played for both teams as well. I don't. Um, well, Ronaldo did. I don't remember if Luis Enrique, he might've uh, a lot of pe like Ronaldo, like, yeah, the the real um, Ronaldo. Um, people do. I mean, it's happened, and that's where you see, like, okay, they're foreigners, and this is why a lot of the players, like that are Brazilian today, are are like support Bolsonaro, yeah. because unfortunately, the level of education is not great, and this is where I think accessibility to education is huge because everyone should have access to knowledge. It's mm -hmm. like absurd that people have to pay so much money to get knowledge, right? Um. And so because, again, they're growing up in these situations where they, like, have to put food on the table or they have to, like, think about soccer only, you know, like, constant, 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 they maybe are not aware of a lot of this that goes on. And so then they become Bolsonaro fans because they're like, oh, it's the president. Why am I not going to? And that doesn't excuse them. Like, ignorance is un is inexcusable, too. But what I'm saying is, in the case of, like, Ronaldo, maybe, or in the case of some of these players that are foreigners to Spain, they might not be as aware and they're just like, oh, that's a big team. Yeah. Oh, they want me? Like, I'm going to go and money talks. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out uh, if there's like a list or any players that have gone from, uh, Spanish players that have gone from either Barca to Madrid or Madrid to Barca. I'm trying to, I need to see that. I don't, I have to look into that, but that's a good question yeah. for sure. That's interesting. I know when like, in like, obviously when Spain was, their golden generation when they're doing well, you know, 08 Euros, 2010 Olympic yep. uh, World Cup, 12 Euros. And that's when like the Barca uh, Real Madrid rivalry was like at its highest point. So they should definitely ESPN 30 for 30. They definitely got to get you as an executive producer to talk about <laughs> that, that, that moment where like the, the national team, where it's not really a national team is like at its highest peak, but then you got the two biggest teams in Spain, Catalonia. Uh, um, still butting heads. And I, I've heard stories of like when they get into camp, Casillas, Ramos fighting with Puyo, Pique. And yep. like, so that's well, first that's really of all, I would that like another pipe dream, right? Like, love 30 for 30s. Um, but let's be honest that whole national team, and th this is something I will die on the hill of the 2010 World Cup was won by Barcelona. Like, look mm. at the stars of that team. And, like, yeah, you've got, okay, like, you've got Ike Casillas, who was, like, major and things like that. But, like, every one of the key players, especially for the World Cup final. The core, yeah. The core. The spine. Barcelona. You got Puyol, Pique, Javi, and Iniesta. Uh, who else was there at the time? Fabregas wasn't there yet. Um, that Villa, world, well, Was Villa there at Barca yet during that yes. time? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the, ooh. And so that World Cup is not one without Barcelona. That World Cup is not one without Pep. Mm. Sorry. That influence is, you could even see it in the chemistry of those players. Because that matters, right? We, yeah. You can't just think it's like skill. So there's that. We'll always take that with us.
Hey, when you when you're on ESPN 30 for 30, just give us the opportunity to use this clip. You know, you got it. Whatever you want. <laughs> oh man, two cents sports going to produce this. I like that. I like that idea. Perfect. We'll do our own. We'll call it two cents. Two cents docs. <laughs> two cents for two cents. <laughs> yep. No respect. All right, so so let's jump. We we spoke a lot about World Cups earlier in the show. Um, let's kind of jump back a little bit and get into Argentina's 1978 World Cup. Sure. Schoolless. <laughs> okay, so 1978, um, Argentina is like in at the peak of their dictatorship. So a little bit of backstory: the CIA and the U.S. And now we're in um, peak McCarthyism, peak Red Scare and Cold War. Not not in 78, but like we're coming out of that, right? So the U.S. being um, the imperialist um, bully, really, because that's what the U.S. is in the world. Uh, that it is. It creates this operation called Operation Condor to make sure that communism, the, the this boogeyman word, right, doesn't ever happen in their backyard. First of all, already calling Latin America the backyard of the U.S. is so U.S.-centric and disgusting that it's like just the arrogance. I can't stand it. So now we've got Operation Condor, which instilled some of the most brutal dictators in the world. In that is um, Pinochet in Chile. Um, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, like mostly the Southern Cone, but all of Latin America has these dictators that are literally disappearing, disappearing people, you know, murdering them and like just throwing them into the river. Like um, my parents narrowly escaped that because a friend of theirs came to them and literally was like, if you don't leave right now, here's your three options. They had the plane tickets. Um, if you don't leave right now, like they're coming tomorrow for y'all, like for their little group. And like, so it was. They've got no friends left from that area because they were able to escape and no one else was. So this is very real, right? So you've got the U.S. orchestrating this whole thing. 1978 is the peak for Argentina of their most brutal dictatorship and, and just sheer numbers that were like disappeared during that time. Still to this day, and actually this relates back to Messi because Messi works a lot with the organization that's working to reunite children that were stolen during that period because what they what the fascists would do would be if a woman was pregnant they would take the child and give it away to like what their fascist friends and like kill the mom so a lot of these children from that generation grew up in families adopted that are stolen from these prisoners so there's an organization that's been like um they they won a nobel peace prize and things like that for reuniting these grandchildren now at this point their grandchildren with their grandparents and messi works with this organization they're called abuelas de plaza de mayo 1978 peak right 1978 is also the world cup fifa by just you know some coincidence decides to give it to argentina to host it is not a coincidence because, again, we've got this corrupt, fascist, U.S.-based connection to the 1994 World Cup, right, situation where the U.S. went to FIFA and was like, look, we need to cover up what's going on. Let's give them this World Cup to host and to get people's minds off of the dictatorship as if, first of all, as if that was going to work for the people that are getting like tortured and murdered who were literally getting captured and tortured in some of the stadiums where they played world cup games in 1978. Okay. They're using those as makeshift jails. And during the day they play world cup games there. So FIFA says, of course, 
because it's the most corrupt organization on the planet. They give them the cup to host. Argentina wins that World Cup. Also, by coincidence, no. When you are in the middle of a dictatorship, just like under Franco, no one was going to go against him. He has he was known. I think there is a 30 for 30 about this, actually. Um, he 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 went into the locker room of Peru. I think it was Peru that they were playing in the semifinal. Argentina was. And there was a talk. And Peru was winning at halftime and Peru lost that game to Argentina. You draw your own conclusion. So that I'm trying to go down. That whole World Cup was a cover-up for that dictatorship. Argentina, for a long time, denied, and this is part of the reason why I have a lot of issue with people who are, like, talking about our recent elections as if now all our problems are fixed. Because here's the thing. Fascism doesn't just go away, right? So for a long time, when fascism was gone technically the history books in Argentina for 1978, even though there was this whole dictatorship. Okay. All it said was Argentina won the world cup. So it was used for a cover up for like generations. And it's only fairly recent that we're starting to be like, hold on a second. This needs, this needs to be told right from, and the reason I teach a lot about what's um, a concept called collective memory which dates back to the way that we tell stories, for example, in um, populations that are enslaved. A lot of the stories are oral, right? Because you have no other way to maintain your history. And so oral histories for a long time were looked at as like less than. They were like, oh, that's just your oral histories. Like here's our books written, you know, by our academics that are all white, by the way, they just happen. Every single good writer was always a white man historically, just magically. There was no, you know, just like that's, you know, they're all white men. Um, but, but what happens to those stories that are oral histories, they're repressed. That happens in every society. And, and that's called collective memory. The collective memory is what keeps those stories alive. And so thanks to that, we've been able to kind of like piece back the story. Now, a lot of these countries, because Uruguay did it too, and now they they're, they did the turnaround thing to say, no, what we did was wrong. We admit it. We're taking these steps to rectify it. We're trying to reunite these families. And it's not about fixing it, because how do you fix that? You can't. You can't go back and get those people back. But can you admit what you did as a nation? And does that make a difference? Yes, it does. And so that whole World Cup, now we're talking 1978. So people today love to be like, oh, Kaepernick, like just kick the, just throw the ball. Don't mix your politics with my sport. It's like, you don't know sports yeah. because sports has always been political. Always, always, always. Like there's no separating it. That's amazing. I definitely would love to, if you have any like classes, I definitely want to sign up and roll for that collective memory piece <laughs> because, sure. um, you know, being Igbo, uh, Nigerian, uh, understanding, you know, we are really, when it comes to oral history, that's what we're all about, telling yep. stories through uh, oral. Um, so when you like talked about that, um, that, that was like, I don't want to say triggering, but I was like, oh, that's why, that's it all makes sense. Um, it does, and it is very connected. Yeah, but yo, L, we definitely need to talk about these two cents docs because... <laughs> Uh, yeah and yo if our our podcast might get flagged because you talking it spicy i love it i know l <laughs> loves it but if anyone of high government 
is listening. We're just we're just giving information, it's educational purposes. <laughs> Yo, do, your do your Google. Do your Google. Right. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you a funny story about that. My, I when I graduated college, undergrad, I was a secondary ed major in Spanish. I was looking for jobs, and one of the jobs. I would never work for them. But one of the jobs was like CIA, because, of course, they want language teachers to like go and bombard, you know, the people and be able to talk to them. So I was like, oh, I made a joke to my parents like, oh, look, the CIA is hiring. They're like, you can't you wouldn't you were on a list like (laughs) (laughs) your name is you you would never be able to work for them. I'm like, oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's one of those. the thing is, when you've lived through that, there's very little that scares you. And I haven't lived through it, but I have the genetic memory from my parents. Um, and so I'm kind of like, let them come. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm just going to say, I, we we on the podcast. We're just trying to get this information out. So <laughs> if anyone's listening, please, like, oh I'm learning God. today. I got my notepad. I'm taking notes. <laughs> I'm not trying to get on that, on, on that list. <laughs> Is it? It's a history lesson, folks. Yeah. It's a history lesson. <laughs> Speaking of classes, Franca has... A workshop that she's doing um, on this topic, not the specific topic, but like the topic of history and football yep. and everything. Um, so we'll have that link in our show description. Um, sign up for that. Definitely tap into that because lots of game to be given. Yes. It's called fo- the history of football and capitalism. And so it's basically, yeah, Ooh. like just, yeah, politics and sports and I'm my company. That is, oh, I'm, I'm definitely down for that. That's, that's big time. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So so staying in that vein though, let's let's fast forward to the future, 2022. Um Qatar is awarded the World Cup, also kind of controversially. Yep. Um, so kind of tell us about why that's so problematic and what's going on over there. So first of all, again, and the reason why um um L, when you when you reached out and you were like, Oh, what other examples are there? These are the two immediate ones because that came to my head because again, we've got this like group of people that are like, oh no, politics and sports, whatever. And it's like, okay, first of all, this happened in 1978 and it's happening again right now with the next World Cup, right? So we're having these questions. Are we going to boycott or not? First of all, the first of all, the way that Qatar got that World Cup, come, let, come on, that got the bid. There's <laughs> no, they paid for it. There's no other option right like i mean it's so obvious the world cup has never in the history the 21 world cups that there's been nine of which have been won by south american teams by the way um almost half um it's never been played in the winter never in the history of the world cup now now we've got to play in the winter because qatar won the bid no um so now they're going they won it they they got it corruptedly we're moving the dates of it which is sacrilegious because i don't have a religion except football and to me this is sacrilegious okay (laughs) um and you've literally got stadia that are built with basically like under the worst conditions slave labor as we can know it today the death toll of the people that that died building these stadia is absurd. I don't know that number off the top of my head. I should have looked it up. But we've got we've gotten so deep into this modern football like spiral 
of money, 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 you know, you've got dirty oil money, you've got all these sorts of issues with these big teams that all of a sudden, you know, Manchester City, PSG, like, again, not playing moralist. Everyone's got this oil money because it's the thing to do now, right? But like, don't act like your team all of a sudden just got good. Because that is not <laughs> what happened, right? Um, so now they're like trying to build up this region of the world by giving them this World Cup. It's corrupt it's caused people lives and it is no climate to be playing football it just isn't they moved it to the winter but the winter isn't really winter so um there's not much more to say on this one luckily it's a, it's a short one but like what are we going to do i live for the world cup like world cup is where i have the most knowledge actually world cup history right it's the most interesting thing to me and now I have to watch this World Cup that's like seeped in this, you know, where we thought, okay, in 1978, we did this terrible thing. Let's get better about it. Not to, the Russia one was already corrupt. The Brazil one was already bad. So we see a pattern, right? Um, and it's up to us to change that and question it. If we keep doing the thing where we're like, oh, I don't see it. It's not my problem. I'm just going to be, you know, entertained then nothing's going to change. But who can go against FIFA? I don't know. But it's it's one of the worst. I genuinely believed for a long time, even including up to like last year, I was like, no, they're going to they're going to reverse that. Like, there's no way. And not one single entity in the world stood up to be like, no, we won't stand for this. Not a country, not a team, not a like the UN. I don't know. Like, I don't know who would, but they just let it happen. So I don't know where we go from out. here. Hmm? Said so then sponsors pull out, then they might do something. Everything's you know, money about talks. money. Yeah, money yep. talks. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I remember watching that. Um, There's like an ESPN, not 30 for 30, but they do like the short docs and they talked about, you know, how they're, you know, importing um, individuals or, from like or, India. Or, yeah. And like Africa. shipping them to, yeah. Qatar to work in the stadiums so it's really gonna take like obviously the winner but it's not really the winner like if someone unfortunately don't want it to happen but if a player like dies from heat stroke or it's a real possibility yeah or someone like a a team just being like no we've seen what's been going on with um the 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 slave labor that's been going on with these stadiums and we're like oh we're not we don't want to play today or we don't want to play in this world cup because of what's been going on but it's really tough to that point u.s 2026 fair unfair um i mean i think it's as fair as fifa gets i don't think it's as i don't think anything is as corrupt as qatar i don't think anything (laughs) stop that for a while i hope it doesn't um i'm glad it's joint with canada and mexico um uh, the joke is that uh, although now the U.S. got a little bit better, but the joke is that now there's no choice but for the U.S. to get in. So like, <laughs> we're at least going to that World uh-huh. Cup. Um, I think it's good. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it all goes until then. But I think as far as World Cups go, I don't feel terrible about that one. That's good. Um, yeah. I'm excited for it. Cool. Have you ever been a three country joint World Cup? Um, I don't think, I don't think three really. countries. No. Um, my charger real quick. Yeah, there was no three countries. I don't think it has ever happened. 
And you have to remember, too, there were like eras where the World Cup for a long time, it was like much smaller, right? The first ones, there were only like eight teams that even participated in it at all. So like you didn't need that many stadiums. Now you've got this now. And now the, the other thing is that in 2026, we've got like the 48 team thing, which is like ridiculous. But so you've got this evolution from very small World Cups, because back then, like lots of countries couldn't travel, you know, across oceans and things like that. Um, so you didn't need to spread it out as much. Now it's it's a little bit different. So I think it is the first one that'll be three countries. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's because um, they're just trying to increase soccer in North America. You know, obviously yeah. Europe's at a bigger point. South America, uh, MLS will be at a point where it's over 25, 20 plus years, uh, 30, almost 30 like at 30. that point. Yeah, yeah. I think 30. Um, Actually, so- yeah, that'll be the 30th anniversary i think yeah Yeah. so to grow to grow do like a 94 2026 little remembrance and then after that the next world cup is going to be in china so just calling that (laughs) (laughs) we'll see (laughs) all right so let's jump into one of our favorite parts of the show um no car yellow car red card so this is a rapid fire segment of the show where I'll throw out a couple of topics and our guest, Franca, as well as uh, Amobi, will give their opinion using the soccer ratings, the soccer card system. So obviously no card is I'm in agreement or I'm cool with it. Yellow card is I can go either way. Red card is I disagree or I'm not cool with it. Um, so I have two topics today. Um, we can call these uh, the Racimo edition of no car yellow card red card so first one uh no car yellow card red card edison Cavani's racial slur on instagram so if you're not familiar um uh i believe i think someone commented on a post that he made and he uh and he responded i think like gracias negrito or something like that um and you may be able to you know, lean on this a little bit more, but uh, yeah, I want to get you guys ratings. All on right. That. So it has to be rapid fire. Cause I, cause I, there's context to this one. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to go first? Uh, me? Uh, uh, I didn't even know this happened, but All definitely. Right. So don't uh, go, first. go first. Don't go first. Don't yeah. go first. Let me explain one thing. Okay. So it wasn't in a comment. It was, I'm going to, I'm going to say this for this one. First, I'm going to give my thing. It's no card. And here's why. Um, It's true. It's just a fact that in Spanish, the word for black is negro. Okay. That's just the way you say the color. There's no other way to say it. It's also true that like in the U.S., lots of black folks in Latin America, but specifically in Uruguay, don't choose to identify as Afro-Uruguayan. They choose to identify as Black because there's a different connotation to it. And that means that they choose to be called Negro or Negra or Personas Negras. Like the word Negro itself is not a slur. It can't be because it's the only way that we can say the, the word Black, right? Just linguistically. Um, all of this to say, and so, and then there's this whole 
nuance of what do you call people? The most famous um, singer in Uruguay currently is a black candombe artist. Candombe is the Afro-Uruguayan drum beat of Carnival that's become like kind of pop. Um, his name is Ruben Rada, but he goes by El Negro Rada. And people tried to impose that Afro-Uruguayan thing on him. He was like, absolutely not. That's not my name. That's not my identity. I am El Negro. That's what you call me, right? We who are non-Black Uruguayans can't tell him to be offended by that word. He is free to choose his identity, right? Again, all of this to say the word inherently is not a slur. The way Cavani used it, especially as a diminutive, it wasn't in a comment. It was in a story to his friend who had congratulated him, who his whole life he's called him Negrito. And he said, gracias, Negrito. He, for, I, I think he didn't realize how public he was in that moment. And he just went back to that childhood moment or whatever, called him that, immediately deleted it, immediately apologized. And the other bit of nuance is, unlike what I assume your second one's going to be, this was not done on the pitch. It was not done in anger. It was not done in a moment of clashing. And so I think that nuance does come in and I am, I work with DEI like office and I, and I'm like one of the few advocates on this campus where it's like super white supremacist. And so I say that to say, I am never one to say, no, that's not a slur in this one case, because even the Luis Suarez thing, I think was different when you're saying it to someone in a moment of clashing, it's totally different. In this case, he said it to his friend. He was thanking him for congratulating him who had grown up calling him that. With that said, I think it's a no card, but systemically, do we as Latinos and as Uruguayans need to look at our use of that word? Absolutely. Because it's true. You know, Latinos are out there defending him like, no, that's fine. That's just how we use it. It's a term of endearment. Okay, but that's not fine. My grandma does call me Negrita. She does. I can't tell my grandma not to call me that. I'm unfortunately like I have to respect my grandmother. But can we look at it systemically as Latinos and change it? Absolutely, we do need to. Because the heritage of the word, whether it's offensive or not, historically, it is now. So now we have to look at it. So it's almost like an in-between thing. I don't think he should get punished for it, especially because his immediate reaction was delete and apologize. Like, what else can he do? Also, because of intersectionality, he is marginalized in Manchester and consistently called out for not speaking English. So yeah, he's a white passing Latino, but there's all sorts of levels to how he is treated, how Bielsa is treated for not speaking English. And so while he's white passing, there's also these like people don't have the same energy for actual racism in the FA. Right. But now everyone's like up in arms when this Latino said this word. So I think there's nuance. I think he gets no card based on the on the con like on the context of that one incident. But systemically, we all need to stop excusing it and start asking ourselves why we say this word instead of going like, because black Uruguayans will tell you they're not offended. You can't tell people to be offended. But that's obviously all internalized racism, which exists. And it's a thing that white supremacist cultures do and still as well. And so I think it's a very, very nuanced thing that needs to be looked at, unfortunately, case by case, only because that context does matter because the word can be used in different ways. And it's not its not like saying the N-word in English where there's no context under which a non-Black person should ever say it. In my opinion, I don't think any non-Black person should say any N-words in English, right? 
but that's not the same context that it has. So no I, card. I, I appreciate the explanation because, you know, on the soccer field, I've gotten arguments with my Latino brethren. But let me ask you this before I ask my next question. So if, like, you know, with the Mexican culture, you know, if there's a white passing uh, Mexican, they say gringo. Is it almost similar? But gringo is kind of bad, right? Or No, I don't think that. I think people who think gringo is bad are the same type of people that are like white lives matter or all lives matter. It is not the same thing because gringos are not historically traditionally oppressed. Okay. You understand what I mean? Yeah. So it's like when people come, the, the way that I explain it, because I was actually interviewed for a, a another, uh, for, for a publication about this. And the way that I compared it was this way. It's like using slang that comes from black culture, but you are either white or white passing. You, I believe that there are certain slang terms that should not be appropriated. And I won't appropriate them myself as, as a white passing Latina. There's lots of Latinos that think we're in the same struggle, but not in a way where they want to be in that struggle, where they think that it's okay for us to appropriate you because we're also minorities. And that is not it. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I equate it to is with either white passing Latinos or just white people using certain slang that is traditionally like black culture slang. That's what I, that's what I associate it with more because you can't turn it around on white people because it's not the same thing. It's like when people are like, oh, I'm offended because this doesn't say white lives matter. Well, it's like white lives are the only thing that have ever mattered. (laughs) So you, you can't turn it around like that. Um, which is why I think the better comparison is slang be in the, the way that Cavani used it, not in the way that people use it in an aggression because that's different. I say, all right, thanks for the explanation. Cause, but when I tell you, I was get, I used to get in like arguments. I'm like, bro, you are Colombian. I'm addressing that, but your ancestors are African. You're Afro Colombian. You're Afro uh, Panamanian. You're no, no, I'm Colombian. I'm Colombian. No, don't say. I'm like, bro, are you blind? Like, so with this explanation, I'm gonna let it slide. I'm still giving Cavani a yellow card because you got to be able to read the room. You're a professional athlete. You know, totally. you're on the world stage, but. Now, you know, I can go back and be like, all right, I, I get your point. But still, you, you know, we're saying you, absolutely Afro, Afro-Colombian, you can address it without addressing it. But uh, I one appreciate thing it. that I think pe- that we need to do with these players, especially when they because they're there is a limit to this too. Everything can't be a cultural difference, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. just assume that like, okay, there's cultures where it's okay to sexually assault women. Like that can't be a cultural difference. Like we have to call that out, mm-hmm. but there are certain cultural differences that can be kind of worked on. And I think this is one, when these players leave, they, this someone, some entity, maybe it can be me, Um, (laughs) teaches them these norms that are different. I also think what you're bringing up is super interesting and super important because Latinos have all sorts of internalized racism and will tell you, no, I'm not black. I'm Dominican. And it's like, no, you, this is the whole thing. This is the whole thing. We have the same history of colonization and we have the same history of slavery. 
There is no difference, but that's that internalized anti-blackness, which is, by the way, global. And so we think like, no, we're Latinos. We can't be racist. We can be more racist than anyone else. There's literally no difference between being colonized by England or being colonized by Spain. They're both white countries. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that's a great point. Because when I say I used to get in battles, I was, I'm like, bro, I can't, I'll be like, yo, I can't even argue with this guy because he's not, oh, sorry, this is, this is good. <laughs> I, I learned a lot today. Thank you so much for taking the time. No like, we can continue. Sorry, Elf. Right. Yeah, I, I got, got one more. <laughs> I got one more. <laughs> All right, next up. No card, yellow card, red card. Istanbul, I cannot pronounce it. Istanbul and PSG <laughs> players walk off the field after the fourth official uses a racist slur towards one of Istanbul's assistant coaches. No, this happened like what yesterday? Day Literally before? yesterday, I think, yeah. or when Tuesday? Day before. Yeah, day before because yeah. they replayed the game yesterday. Yeah. Um, de- depending on how it's worded, so I'm gonna give a blatant red card to the fourth official that said it, um, and a no card to the players that walked off. So I don't want to be misunderstood in that <laughs> this one doesn't have any nuance. And it is like blatantly wrong what happened. And that's the exact counterexample. Now you're in a situation where there is no context that excuses it because you've got all sorts of people. Now they're like, oh, it's Romanian. Oh, in the language, it means black. No, 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 no. Now we're in this other space where there is no excuse. There is no context. There is no nuance. That's a that's a straight red for that fourth official. Yeah, I completely agree. Red, because like you said, I feel like people will, you know, hide behind culture context when they say something. Be like, oh, well, I didn't know. Sorry, this is how we... No, you, you said it in a place that I don't want to say anger, but uh, you was quick to do it. So red card to the ref um, outside of, you know, the racial slur, just not being able to read the room, like whatever. Uh, red card to John Barnes, who was speaking out and saying, oh, well, you know, trying to defend, not sit this one out, my guy. Um, red card to him. Red um, card to, oh, what's his name, the coach of PSG? What did he do? He literally was, uh, there was a player from Istanbul. I also can't pronounce their name, sorry. Romance languages are my thing. Literally arguing with him, saying, there's a video, like he's like, He said it, and Tushwell is like, well, you don't know. You don't know. Like, literally on the field, talking to his opposing player, trying to excuse what the player just saw. Because it was Istanbul that initiated the walk-off. It was not PSG. And PSG needed the points, too. So, oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, red card to Tushwell. Red card to him. He went with the Phoenix Rising coach uh, method, uh, you know, trying oh to win the God. game. Oh, my God. What another disaster. Um, so, red card to him. Who else I'm giving red card? Red card to Portuguese head coach. Uh, yes. Saying, um, this is, this is st- starting to get, you know, too much, you know. So, yeah, he got he got to get a red card, too. And then yep. no card for the players because, as, you, as we know, like, if the players stand together as a fist, as Ray alluded to last week. Uh, great episode, by the way. Um you know, a lot of change can happen. So hopefully, you know, FA, UEFA, whoever's, you know, in charge will do something. But as we know, it might just sweep it under the rug and yeah. hope we hope we forget. But yeah. It's the I, only way. It's the only way. Yeah. To walk so, off every time. Yeah. So, yeah, because it affects their money. Like, I'm sure uh, uh, CBS and uh, Univision and all the Sky Sports were calling, like, we uh, we need our money back. So when you affect the pockets, 
um, and make a stand for what you believe in. That's that's what it's all about. That's it. Yeah, hopefully now, who, this who is you getting right cards? moving forward because I'm tired of seeing teammates try to hold, try to keep their their teammate from leaving the pitch. Like walk out there with them, you know. Yeah. Like, hopefully this sets and the president like, all right, if it happens, yeah. we out. Yeah. Like there's no no exceptions. And it and has to team. be. It has to be the white players too. Like it, yeah. it has to be like just in terms of like that privilege and you know and and like. Um, making sure you know like again like just showing that you're a team and like a unified front they also don't want to lose money you know the players that are like holding them back and it's like this is bigger than all of that and it's going to continue to happen until it's addressed facts facts yeah you're, you guys are both exactly right and uh shout, shout out to Dimba Ba for pulling the official yeah i was card. gonna say yeah no <laughs> time to Dimba no Ba. I might have to get a jersey of his. He he, he went. He he was in his grill. And also, like how um, I haven't talked at all about emotional labor, but emotional labor gets put on minoritized people of all sorts, all all the time, right? It always comes down to you know white people and and, and who are misogynist, who are racist. Like they never. we're always excusing them, right? We're always like, oh, they're still learning. Not we, but like society is like, give them a chance to learn. And who who do they put that emotional labor on? Black and brown people and women and LGBTQ folks. It's always up to us to educate. And it's never like, can you do one Google? Can you just do one Google, read one book on your own without me having to hold your hand? Like, never. I'm that's tired. the title of the show too, right? Do do your Googles. That's the title of this episode. <laughs> do one it Google. Is now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, this it is, is now. I, I, I listen. I learned so much today. This is. <laughs> I'm so happy. But what's the class again? Because I feel like I already learned like collective memory, uh, emotional what's labor. Cla- um, Wait. Oh, emotional. Be your workshop. Yeah, your workshop. Sorry. There's a workshop, and I'm teaching an intersectionality course next semester at my institution. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah, we gotta tap in, and we got We got the uh, soccer tourism, you know, for two cents FC soccer tours sponsored by uh, Franca, our professor, and Seriously. two cents docs. Yo, it's uh, yo, yo, we got it. We got to set, set up the meeting. Yo, set up the meeting. We got we got hey. a lot to talk about. Hey, you got you got to connect some of like, Get us in the room, man. <laughs> I'm trying, man. Listen, if you listening to this, Heath, if you listening to this, you you're not getting this on orange slices. You only getting this on two cents FC. So we got the pitch deck ready if not we're just gonna do it ourselves that's what we're gonna do regardless but yeah let me stop talking yeah. <laughs> that's it though that's the end of the show man oh. thank you guys so much i had so much fun no nah, thank you so where can people find you you know we got your uh, we got your workshop in the show notes but where can they connect with you um you know how can they tap in with you Sure. Um, I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, my real name's not on there for like um, <laughs> for doxing purposes, but <laughs> my user. But I mean, people will find me anyway. Um, my username is Senorita Intelectual. S R T A I N T E L E C T U A L. I never have to spell it. Intelectual, like in Spanish, with one L. Um, okay. and it, it'll be written out. I, I definitely follow the wrong person on Twitter then. I definitely follow the wrong person on Twitter. Yeah, I just, I've had that Twitter for so long that now I'm like, it's just me. And like, if people want to find me, they'll have to work a little harder for it. Um, And yeah, I'm on Instagram too, same at, but I'm not as active on there because I I think I'm a little old. I think like Instagram's a little bit like, 
I just came in right at the cusp. And so like I have it, but I'm like, uh, you know, don't really don't really go on there um, and look out for stuff like the workshop. And there's some other things in the works coming. So uh, stay tuned to that Twitter account. Respect. I'm tapped in. Well, thanks again, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That's our show for this week. You might have to listen to this twice. I suggest you have a notebook in handy, uh, record it, download it, do what you got to do. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on the socials at Two Cents FC. Check out our merch at Two Cents Sports.shop. It helps support the show. As you can see, I'm rocking the hat. L's rocking another jersey that he gets. I, I don't know. His collection That's is crazy. Corinthians today. <laughs> and also, tweet us your comments on the show and, and any topics you want me or L to discuss. Uh, we're trying to close out 220 on uh, 2020 on a strong note. Uh, I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Um, but that's it for this week. Peace out. Yeah, yeah peace out. I think we broke the record, right? No, maybe. No, I don't no. know. Yeah. We're still... No, we're we gonna, about, technically, we're going to have part two. We're going to have part two. <laughs> technically, we did. For sure. All right. Catch y'all next week. Yeah.